All right, open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at just a a few verses this morning. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17 is our text. And the title of the sermon today is Gaining the Right Perspective. If you remember at the beginning of this series through Luke, Uh, nearly a year ago that I told you that there were three primary reasons that Luke is writing. He's writing this, number one, to show us who Jesus is. He wants us to gain the right perspective of who Jesus is. He also wants us to know that we can trust in him. Uh, we we uh, We can know that he is God and we can trust in him. Uh, We can believe on Him, and we can also have confidence in Him. He wants us to see that He is God and that we can have confidence. We don't have to live in this world with fear and doubt and worry. So Luke has just a few things there that he wants us to gain as we are going through the gospel of Luke. And so everything is kind of a recapitulation of that theme. He keeps returning back to one of those three things. And today we're going to see uh, this again, gaining the right perspective. Let me tell you a story I was thinking about this week. Um, All of us each each year we are part of whether we like it or not a day called St. Patrick's Day. It was a big deal when I was a kid because if you didn't wear green on St. Patrick's Day what happened? You got pinched. Yeah. And so that was a big deal. You made sure you wore green. And for years, I had no idea. I thought that St. Patrick's Day was a pagan holiday because it's, it's the number, by the way, more alcohol is sold on St. Patrick's Day than any other holiday. That's a fact. And, and the reason is, is because it has been turned into an occasion, uh, you know, Irish, the Irish pubs, it's, it's been turned into an occasion to get drunk. But St. Patrick was a real figure. He was a historical figure. And those of you who don't know this, when St. Patrick, he's not from Ireland, by the way. He's not even Irish. He's from England. When he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped. And he was taken to Ireland by barbarians. And he was kept captive as a young 16-year-old boy. Years went on as a captive, and he became a young man in Ireland. But while he was there, he heard the gospel. While he was in bondage, while he was a captive, a prisoner, you could say, he heard the gospel and he believed on Jesus Christ. Eventually, he was able to escape his captors. He went back to England and was reunited with his family only to tell them, I'm going back to Ireland. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to win Ireland to Jesus Christ. And he goes back as a, an, an evangelist, as a, as, a, as a missionary on a mission to tell all the people in Ireland about Jesus. Now, there have been many stories made up about St. Patrick's and a lot of legends and things that are just way out there. And that's why we have leprechauns and four-leaf clovers and all of these things. And by the way, he, he used a three-leaf clover to try to explain the Trinity. And that was uh, one of his... Uh, things that was modalism, and so uh, what are the what are the areas he was definitely wrong in? But we see that that, that St. Patrick went back, and he did make an impact on Ireland. Uh, 
In fact, the king there, there was a Gaelic king, that was the old Irish language, and he had set a decree that they were to have a day designated where there would be no flames. This was in 433, only 400 years after Christ, 1600 years ago from us, but 400 years after Christ. And so they didn't have electricity. They only had candles. But he said, no burning wood, no fires are to be lit, no striking of any kind of fire, no making of any kind of fire. And this was in honor of one of their gods, one of their deities. Well, St. Patrick, emblazoned and bold in his faith, went to the highest mountain and collected as much wood as he could and set the top of the mountain on fire at the very dawn of that day. And they said for miles and miles and miles in the darkness, you could see the glow of that fire and smoke went up. And as it began to, uh, sun began to come out and people were stirring early in the morning and at sunrise, everybody seen the defiance of St. Patrick, who said, my God is a God of light, and he will not be extinguished, but he will burn bright, and I will shine for him. Well, there were many stories that were told after that. There were many writings about St. Patrick's heroism and what he did and his faith that prompted that. A couple of hundred years after that, there was a poem that was even written For 1,400 years, that poem stayed dormant until 1905, where a young university lady there uh, named, uh, named Mary, I forget her last name, but her first name was Mary, and she was there in Ireland, and she uncovered that 1,400 year old document written in the old Gaelic language. And she began for the first time, very first time, interpreted it in English. And it's where we get the song today called, Be Thou My Vision. And that song come as an inspiration from what St. Patrick had done some 1600 years. That song is still sung today. And it is still vibrant today. It is still fresh today. We still sing it. We don't sing it with the Irish flavor that it originated from. But if you ever listen to that song, it's, it, it has a very Irish tune because that's where it came from. But it came because St. Patrick had gained a right perspective. He was in bondage, held by captives, And yet he gained the right perspective of who Jesus was. And that's my prayer today, that you will gain the right perspective. That we, as we live in this world, whether uh, this morning, if, if you are not a believer, I want you to see who Jesus is. If you are a believer, I want you to see who Jesus is and his operation in this world. And so we see that in this text the story of the bent woman. Now, some commentators, we see in the very first part in verse 10, the very uh, beginning of this sermon, that he was in one of the synagogues. Synagogues being plural, he was in one of them. Uh, Some commentators estimate that in the region that Jesus was in, that there were some 240 synagogues. 
Synagogues were put in these regions, they were put in these places because there was only one temple and that was in Jerusalem. And it was still in those days that they were offering sacrifices at the temple, but the synagogues were not places of sacrifice. You could only offer sacrifice in one place and that was at the temple of Jerusalem. So they put these synagogues all over the region so that the people of God could go and hear the word of God be read. And so a rabbi or a teacher would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and they would read the scriptures. It was customary of Jesus wherever he went that on the Sabbath day, he was expounding the word of God to the people of God, telling them who he was, connecting who he was to what the prophets had foretold and what the Old Testament had taught. And so it shouldn't surprise us to find Jesus at one of these synagogues. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher, and because of his popularity, the rulers of those synagogues didn't really have a choice but to let him come in and teach. They didn't agree with him. They were even opposed to him. But they still allowed him to come in and preach. I want to paint the scene for you. There's a picture that Brother Ricky is going to put on the screen of this woman. We see in the text that here is a woman who is bent over. And there's some things that we know about her. Now, by the way, let me give you this disclaimer. That is not the woman in the text. (laughs) But in my research, most agree that the woman in the text would have resembled this woman right here in her condition. Bent over, and she had been in this condition for 18 years, and we know it was caused by some form of demonic oppression. The Bible doesn't say that she was demon-possessed. In fact, I think we're going to see quite clearly she was not demon-possessed. But she was afflicted physically by a demon. He had placed her, this demon, this disability or this uh, spirit of disability had placed her in this physical bondage. Now, if you notice the picture, the implications of her position forced her to live for 18 years constantly looking at the ground. And if she ever looked around, she would have had to cock her head sideways. It would have looked very odd very strange. She would have most definitely stood out. So this was a posture of humility, and one can only imagine that to be in that position for 18 years, that over the years, it was probably a, a, a sinking, a, gradually, a gradual decline within this woman's health. I think it's just ironic. In her condition, that she would be found in the synagogue That she would be found on the Sabbath day in the place where the Word of God would be read. In fact, I think we can safely assume, as I'm going to continue to fill this picture out for you, that this woman had been coming to the synagogue for a very long time. Probably her entire life. We don't know. But we do believe from the text that she had been coming for a long time. She wasn't out of place. She certainly wasn't out of character. Uh, The people were probably very used to her being there. Something else we see in the text that's very interesting as well is that Jesus gives her a title. He refers to her as a daughter of Abraham. Now this was Jesus more than saying that she was a Jew. This was more than him saying she was Hebrew. 
This was Jesus referencing this woman's faith by calling her a daughter of the covenant. A daughter of Abraham is very significant. And so I think that we need to recognize that this is a woman, most likely, I believe, a woman who came, who was actually one of the few believers that were there that day, had believed on the promises of God, had believed in the covenants, and that all of this pointed to a coming Messiah. Perhaps she didn't know Jesus. I don't believe she did. Didn't know him yet personally. She's about to. But she was having faith in the one to come. We know this, I believe, because the moment she's healed, she glorifies God. So in her bent over position, I think it's worthy to give this woman credit that on the Sabbath day, she wasn't going to allow anything to keep her away from going and hearing the word of God. I mean, I I think when I see this woman, I see a woman of commitment, a woman who was coming and finding peace and refuge and comfort in hearing the word of God in her awful condition. So I think we need to give her credit in that regard. The text doesn't indicate that this woman was there to be healed. The text doesn't indicate that someone brought her there to meet Jesus that day. In fact, the text indicates that Jesus is the one who laid his eyes on her first and had to even beckon her to come to him. I imagine that this woman was on her way to her regular seat. In the synagogues in those days, they would allow the men to sit up front and the women were sitting in the back. And I'm sure that this woman was on her way. She probably had her place, probably a good Baptist. She had her own place in the synagogue where she sat every single Sabbath day. But she went to the temple or to the synagogue that day and probably making her way to the back when Jesus beckons her to come forward. And we learned last week in the sermon that the Jews in the first century would often look at people who were suffering as having the judgment of God upon their life. So they would look at catastrophes and they would look at situations or people's health and they would assume that that woman had done something or that man had done something that had caused God to bring a judgment or this special judgment upon their life. So not only do we see that this woman lives in this awful condition, she's probably also living under the scrutiny and the judgment and the jeers of other people who look upon her with indignance. They didn't look upon her with compassion as we see that Jesus did. So as she was making her way into the synagogue, on her way in this bent over position to her place, somebody calls out her name and it's Jesus. And he beckons her to come and this is what we see in Luke chapter 13 and verse 12. It says, woman, you are freed from your disability. Now these words are important. Because it paints a picture for us, for us to understand. This, this word is a word that means to be loosed, 
This woman was in bondage. You remember when, you remember when Lazarus was dead and Jesus called him back from the dead? He's, he said, loose him and set him free. These are the same terms that Jesus is using when he tells this woman that she is to be set free. She had been in bondage with this disability. Luke is showing us that this was not just some natural physical disease. But there was something more to this woman's story. That she was this way because of a disabling spirit. This was spiritual in nature. When Jesus said she was freed, he laid his hand on her. And for the first time in 18 years, the the bones that had been either fused together or that, that devilish spirit that had his hand pressed over on her back, whatever it was, Jesus broke that bond with his authority and said, lady, you are healed. And she stood in erection. She stood straight up for the first time. In 18 years, she is now able to look at someone face to face, to look at them in the eyes, and she begins praising who? Now, this is interesting. Because most everybody in Jerusalem just referred to Jesus as a great teacher, as a great prophet, as a rabbi. But she doesn't praise Jesus as a prophet or a rabbi. She praises God. I believe she knows exactly who the one who touched her is. She knows that he is God and so she is praising God. She's not praising Jesus. Uh, you know, a lot of us have went to a doctor and the doctor has performed a procedure on us and we are healed and we turn around and we say, thank you to the doctor. This woman was healed, and she says, thank you, God. The reference here to her recognizing that Jesus is God. It's interesting here, this woman had a perspective. She had been looking down for 18 years at the dirt, but she had a perspective on who God is more than most others in that synagogue that day. It made me think of Fanny Crosby. How many of you know the name Fanny Crosby? Raise your hand if you know that name. Fanny Crosby, you may not know her name, but you've sang one of her songs, Blessed Assurance, and many other, over 800 songs. Fanny Crosby was blinded when she was a kid. She had an eye condition, and a doctor put the wrong solution in her eyes, put acid in her eyes, and blinded her. But yet she had a perspective of God that most people who can see never gain. She had the right perspective. So this woman has a perspective, but not everybody shares her perspective. And so therefore, not everybody's happy. Look at what it says in our text. Luke chapter 13, 14 says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant. That means he was angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now, this man sees this woman miraculously healed. In fact, I believe Jesus, this man is not uh, cynical. He doesn't believe that this woman was just brought in here as a show. She was paid by Jesus to come in. And he's not cynical. He knows a miracle has happened. In fact, he tells them, if you want to be healed, come up here six days of the week, not on the Sabbath. I believe he knows that she was healed because he knew this woman. 
He'd known her for a long time. He'd seen her come, probably looked upon her with indignant, indignance and anger because every time she come, he looked at her and was like, what are you even doing here? Because you're under the judgment of God. Now he's angry because he sees what is being done as a violation of the law. But he is certainly not looking upon this woman with compassion. In the Old Testament, we see that the Sabbath was a very serious thing. But the Jews, what they did over time was they ascribed extra laws to the Sabbath. And so these were man's laws that he was mad about. He was self-righteous. He didn't see the hand of God all over this situation. All he can see is that his Jewish law in which he has found a way to be self-righteous in, he's just angry that it happened on the Sabbath. But notice that he's too cowardly to address Jesus, so he addresses the crowd. Look at what it says in verse 14. The ruler of the synagogue said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. So get that, he's saying to them, be like me saying to you, if you wanna be healed, don't come here on Sunday. You've got Monday through Saturday to get it right. He's angry, but he's too coward to speak to Jesus, so he tells everybody else. Don't you come up here and get healed on the Lord's day. So zealous for the law, but yet he's so self-righteous and self-absorbed. So focused on a system that he's unable to see a person. And before we begin to pass judgment on him, well, we really need to be careful that we aren't just like him, don't we? I was in Missouri pastoring a number of years ago and a one-armed rainbow vacuum cleaner salesman came to our house. Now, I want you to know something. It is impressive to watch a one-armed vacuum salesman give a demonstration of a rainbow vacuum. How many of you remember the rainbow? How many of you still got one? (laughs) This was something that was very common back in those days. Rainbow vacuum salesmen would come to your house and would do a demonstration. And man, they'd pull so much dirt out of your couch. You were sold. I've got to have it. But I watched him. He was impressive. And I said, listen, I'm not going to buy your product. I'll listen to what you have to say, but I'll do it under one condition. I said, I want you to listen to what I have to say afterwards. He said, deal. So he shared his demonstration. And afterwards, I shared the gospel And right there in my living room, that man made a profession of faith. And I told him, I said, now here's what you need to do. You need to be at church on Sunday. And we're going to talk more about baptism and some other things. And that man showed up Sunday, but he made a mistake. He he had the audacity to walk in church with a hat on. But one of our trustees, one of our older members walked up to that young man, had never been to church in his life, and said, young man, if you're going to come to church here, you're going to show some respect and you're going to take that hat off. That man, that that young man never heard anything else the rest of that day. He ran up to me as soon as the service was over, just visibly upset. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, I did not mean to come here and start problems. He said, "I, I feel like I've offended your people. He said, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to wear a hat. And I looked at him and I I said, sir, I said, you didn't do one thing wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. 
Oh, what do we... By the way, he never came back. We never saw him again. And, and, and there were probably other things that led to that. But sometimes we fall so much in love with a system that we can't see people. We can become so legalistic and get caught up in rules and regulations that we fail to be compassionate toward people. And so we see in this man some things we need to be careful that we don't see in us, this ruler of the synagogue. It's easy to get caught up in that. But Jesus isn't having it. This ruler's angry. He's mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and he's rebuking the people. So Jesus has a word for him and everyone else who thinks like him. The Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman and a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of the covenant, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus points out to these Jewish leaders that they, each of them own an ox or a donkey. And every single Sabbath day, they went out to the manger and they untied, they loosed, they freed their donkey or their ox and they led it to water. So he, you see the comparison that he's making. He loosed this woman and he said, you loose your ox and your donkey every, every Sabbath day. And he's pointing out their hypocrisy. That's why he calls them hypocrites. But more important than that, he's showing a distinction between God's creation of beasts and God's creation of man. Jesus refers to her as woman. He refers to these animals as an ox and a donkey. And he's not only making a comparison to their hypocrisy, he's making a clear distinction between what is created and what is created in the image of God. And he's showing here that there is more value in humanity than there, are, than there is in animals. By the way, if that hurts you, that's just bibliology. That's, that's Bible. He places more of a value on human life than he does animal life. We mean more to God than cats, dogs, parrots, sharks, eagles. We mean more to God than all of those things. He has said this numerous times in his text. And so he's making that distinction and Jesus calls them hypocrites. And here's why, because he's saying, you care more about your donkeys, you care more about your cows than you do people. Than you do this woman who was made in the image of God. But also notice the level of authority in which Jesus speaks here. For the very first time, even Luke does something that we haven't seen Luke do before. He says in verse 15, then the Lord answered him, talking about Jesus as Lord answering the ruler. What is Luke saying? Jesus, Luke is saying Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is the Lord. He is the master. He is the maker of all things. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
It is the Lord who is the voice of authority here, and he is calling these men out for their hypocrisy. And there's something here about this term, a daughter of Abraham. When you go back to Genesis, God promises to Abraham and through his son, Isaac, that they would be the, that he would be the son of promise. The covenant was always given to the son. And so this shows us that he's talking more than just the Jewish nation. He is talking about this woman being a woman of faith. How much more should this daughter of God, this daughter of the covenant, be loosed from this affirmity? So Jesus gives this woman a title to identify her with himself. She is a daughter of promise. But she's a daughter of promise with a disabling spirit. This made me think of Job. This, this is an area I think that maybe Christians struggle in a bit. When we talk about demon oppression, or we talking about the work of demons in our lives, I think Christians really struggle with this. But I want you to think of this. I want you to think of Job. Job was also afflicted physically by the devil. Job had a physical condition in which he had a skin issue. The Bible tells us it was so severe. Satan had afflicted him so bad physically that he took a broken piece of pottery and he began to scrape his skin to try to find some ease from the pain. Satan was clearly inflicting a physical condition upon Job. And then we see that the apostle Paul said that a thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan to buffet him or to attack him. And so we clearly see in the text that people of faith, people of God can be attacked by Satan. It's about perspective. It's about how we view our life in this world and the activity of which God is working in our lives. This is where the sovereignty of God is so magnificent in our lives that we understand that all of these things that we see in Scripture were given for a purpose and a reason. Jesus is showing us that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is here. There's more to come, but the kingdom of God is here right now. And even in this present life, we are engaged in spiritual warfare, in spiritual battle as the people of God. But we also need to know that in this spiritual warfare, that this story is showing us that there is no spiritual warfare that God is not the authority over. That God, when he comes into that situation, he breaks the bondage of what Satan is doing. He does it on his own timing. This woman had this condition for 18 years. And she could have said, God, where were you 18 years ago? Let me tell you something we do not do. We do not question the mind of God. He works and operates in his time, but he is doing it in such a way that he gets glory for it. He showed up at the right time. He showed up at the right time to affirm this woman's perspective, but to show everybody else that they had a wrong perspective where they were more concerned about a system. They were more concerned about all of the, the legalities of their faith or their religion. Jesus was showing them and demonstrating that he is the authority, that he has the power over Satan's rule. But sadly, there will be many who will reject that God has come. 
It says, as he said these things, in verse 17, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. Don't find any comfort that they were rejoicing in Jesus because of who he was. They were rejoicing in Jesus because of what he did. The lost people can rejoice in the good things of God. Man, lost people can rejoice when it rains. Lost people can rejoice when finances are good. And when when some blessing comes into your life. These people here didn't have the right perspective though. They They were either so against God, so against Christ, that they were his enemies. That's what the word adversaries, they were opponents. They were opposed to him. They were opposed to Jesus' teaching. They were opposed to Jesus casting out demons. They were opposed to Jesus and his disciples eating on the Sabbath day or plucking ears of corn on the Sabbath day. They were opposed to Jesus performing other miracles and they were opposed to this woman being healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. We hear the story and we see what is God doing? Or we ask the question, what is God doing? And I just want to present some questions to you as we hear this story unfold. Who do you identify with in this text? Are you able to identify with the woman? That you have a right perspective of Christ, of who he is? Can you identify with her in the brokenness of your sin that you have been liberated and set free of the bondage in which Satan held you in? And so you have this perspective of Christ being the great liberator, the savior, the king of kings and the God of all glory. Can you share that perspective with that woman? Can you share the perspective of that woman that you glorify God and you rejoice in God for who he is and not just for doing some good thing? Or do you identify more with the rulers of the synagogue, the religious leaders who care more about the things of God than God himself? who are more entangled in the law of man and the, 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 the religious activities than you are in love with God? Or do you identify with the crowd? The crowd who just stands back and says, I just want to see something interesting happen. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to be the one that, that, that's going to, I'm just going to step back and I'm going to see how things turn out. Where are you at in the story? Who do you identify with in this text? Let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you have a desire in your heart, in other words, there's just a a desire in your life. You want to know who Jesus is. You've never trusted in Christ, but you've been coming to church. You've been hearing sermons. You've talked with people. And you know that Jesus is not Lord of your life. But you have a desire to trust in him. If your desire is to follow Christ, trust in him, you can do that today. You can do that right now. If there's a desire in your heart and a want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God may be using a sermon. He may have used some sermons in the past. He may be using the sermon today to show you your need for him. That you now have a right perspective. God, I need you and I want you. Maybe 
you've got the right perspective. Maybe you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but your life is not one that is reflecting thankfulness and glory to God for the goodness that he has shown in your life for setting you free of your sins. You know something we as believers should never get over? We should never get over the fact that God saved us. We should have hearts of thankfulness toward God all the time for the goodness. Do you think that this woman got over her being healed that day? Like she went home and the next day it was just normal? What do you think it was like for days after that? Let me tell you something. We don't get over God taking us when we're broken and making us straight. And we should be having hearts of thankfulness. What is your perspective this morning of who God is in your life? That's the question. Who is God according to your perspective? Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help this morning to take the word now and apply it to our hearts as we look at the story in a fuller version, in full view of this woman and the condition she's in and what you're trying to show and teach. Lord, clearly there are things here where you're showing us that we need to have the right perspective about who you are. Lord, there are some people who just will never see. They'll never gain the right perspective. They will continue and persist in their blindness. Lord, I pray that those warning passages would still stand in their lives today. Lord, there will be a day where there will be great humiliation. Those who oppose God will stand in the judgment of God, humiliated. Lord, I pray that you would take even the judgment passages of the word and show us the glory and the majesty of Christ. That you have come, that you have conquered. You are our deliverer. And Lord, I just pray that we would gain and have the right perspective of who Christ is. God bless your word now in our hearts and your people as we hear these things. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.